0: We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians this morning. I would encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to open it to 1 Thessalonians. If you do not have a Bible with you and you would like to use one, there are uh, Bibles in front of you, underneath the chairs. If you use a pew Bible, you will find 1 Thessalonians on page 986. My message this morning comes out of my own time in God's Word. And it presented to me a, a question. And the question is, is Jesus going to return? And as we heard from Pastor John last week, Jesus would speak about himself in his word. He reveals to us the truth of who he is. The question, this question, is answered again also in God's word in First Thessalonians. This is not a continuation of Pastor John's message, message, but it's also connected with it. Also, we have been studying discipleship training and discipling others. I believe that this is part of discipling. We have understood that discipling starts with evangelism. And one of those great questions that may come up is, is this Jesus going to return. By looking at 1 Thessalonians, I think, first of all, it equips our own hearts for right answers, but also equips us for our time in discipling others. Paul, the author of Thessalonians, had a great love for one of his early churches, the Thessalonians. And he would write to them and tell them about Jesus coming again. Now what we know about the Bible at that time in his letter, he did not have it in the form that we see it today where it was broken down into chapters and verses. We see it as five chapters and then inside each one of those chapters are verses. But in this very short letter, five times he mentions Jesus coming. That sounds important to me. In our structure, five times at the end of each one of these chapters, he is going to give some form or information about Jesus coming. I believe it is good for us to be equipped to be able to answer the question, Is Jesus coming? We start in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And before I read that, I would like to say what this tells us. Is Jesus coming? Yes. And there is going to be a judgment. Follow along as I read. Verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they they themselves report concerning us the kind of reputation we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul started by a look at their faith. And he said what he said about them was they used to be idol worshippers. We don't have information as to what was the idols that they were worshiping, whether they were stone or wood images, whether it was conduct or a lifestyle that was completely self-absorbed, maybe a combination of all those things, the the daily riches that come with life, but something was more important than the one true God. But Paul said, they have turned away from that. There was a new life that started in them, a regeneration that came by the work of God himself. And they turned to the one and only true God. And he goes on to explain that God that they know in the form of Jesus Christ. And the things that he says about Jesus himself is, he said that he was God's son. He said that he, was, he came to this world, died, and rose again. And specifically gives his name. His name is Jesus. There is no other. We cannot confuse and lump together that there's more than one risen Savior. No, it, it is Jesus Christ. And also it says that he is the one that would deliver them from the wrath to come. He is their deliverer. So what about this wrath to come? If Jesus is coming again, is that what we see and should fear as a wrath to come? Well, there definitely will be a judgment. God's word from the beginning through his whole book talks about judgment. We see it in the, uh, t- uh, in the garden itself. God pronounced judgment on sinners and made them leave the place that he had given them. We see that Pharaoh was judged by God. His followers were judged. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged for their sin. It continues on through. And what we see about that judgment is people that have turned and stay away from a regenerated heart of the one true God will face that judgment. They will be sent away forever from the presence of God. But those that have the righteousness of Jesus Christ do not have to fear that judgment. Yes, there definitely will be a judgment. When it comes. Why must there be a judgment? Because God is a just God. We have sinned against him. There must be a penalty paid for that rebellion. And that penalty has been paid for by the complete work of Jesus Christ himself. We just sang about it this morning. If we try to add anything to it, we're taking away from that completed work. So believers do not have to fear the wrath to come when Jesus returns. We move on to chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Jesus is coming and there is going to be a great joy among the saints. Verse 19. For what is our hope? Or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at this time? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. I would like to start by giving you a wrong example of hope, joy, and a crown of boasting. It can be many things in this life, even good things. It might be our spouse. It might be our children. It might be our career, our job. It can even be wealth. Whatever it might be that we place as that great importance in our life, that will probably be what we speak about and boast in. But what does Paul say? Paul is giving, what is Paul's hope? He says, joy and crown of boasting. He says, is it not you? He is speaking about his fellow believers. And on that day, when Christ returns, when that great multitude is together, Paul says, when he is standing there, that will be what he boasts in. But we must understand that statement. Paul is not saying... Paul of Tarsus, the evangelist, LLC, look at my ministry and what I have done. He's saying, I am one of you, brothers. I was so far from the Lord, but you were the one, Lord, that changed my heart. I stand together with others and see the glory that you have poured out on us, and we are humbled for it. What does that look like at Crossway Christian Church? It should be the same. I believe that we see it at work. It's easy to look out and see a minimum of two generations, some three generations, sitting here together, worshiping and praising and listening to God's word. And what that says is, individuals have taken the responsibility to nurture and train up that next generation in the truth of God's word, knowing that God changes hearts. We also see it at Crossway Christian Church coming from faithful leadership and a body of believers willing to understand and respond that our mission field is all around the world, that we will partner with others to spread the truth of God's gospel message to people that we may never see again until we stand in that great multitude before God himself at his coming. The seeds that were planted on on mission trips may not have yielded Results when the missionaries were the, those that went were actually there, but we know and proclaim God's promise that His word will not return void. That's part of what Paul is talking about, but also make no mistake, He's not taking on that glory for Himself. He said that that great multitude is a reflection. of the the glory that comes from the one true God and is due only one individual, and that is God himself. In chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, we see, yes, Jesus is coming and grow in love for each other until he comes. I read in verse 11. Now may our God and Father Himself, our Lord Jesus Lord Jesus, direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. How personal is this grow in love? And I want to say specifically at Crossway Christian Church. We can easily say, well, I'm going to love everyone, but I don't necessarily like them. We've heard it before, and that's not a true statement, my friends. If we love them, our actions in our heart and the overflow should be exactly that. I think one of the things that we have to understand about love is that we don't understand it. The elders in their time together, Pastor John, myself, and an elder training, uh, Doug Brewbaker also, we are reading a book named "The Church." And the surprising offense of God's love by Jonathan Lehman. And what we just discussed this week was the complexity of God's love. And if we really want to understand what God what love is, we must look to Him. And it is multifaceted. It would take us a sermon series alone to try to understand the magnitude of how God loves. But what we also discussed was we as individuals, even Christians, have a distorted view of love. We have a self-seeking love. What we say love is is what we want to come to us. That's how we feel love and respond to it. My friends, that's not necessarily what love is. And if we think that that's how we have to conduct ourselves among other believers, that we're going to get back from them that loving feeling, no, that's only self-seeking. We must be willing to completely give of ourselves to them no matter how we are treated in return. And if that wasn't a large enough challenge, right after that, Paul then says, What we must continue on is to love all. How can we, if we struggle to love those that are in our midst and are like us, how can we love all that are in this world? I think our greatest act of love has to be our willingness to proclaim the truth. Of the gospel message. That's how we will show our love for others. By what God has done in our lives. Let no one not be worthy of hearing the truth. But at the end of this little part of scripture. On Jesus return. I think Paul gives us another great thought. That we have to remember. And all it says is and about his call his coming with all his saints what is paul actually saying in that statement we know how jesus came into this world as a baby putting aside the splendor that was due him i think in a way in this country we're at a disadvantage because we don't understand and know royalty. We can look at other parts of the world and see the pomp and ceremony that comes when royalty is out in public, how it is made such a spectacle of. I believe all of that compa- uh, pales in comparison as to when Jesus comes and it says with all the saints. I imagine and see the multitude of heavenly hosts that sit before God and praise and worship him, angelic beings that are at his command, that sing and worship him, bow down, all coming at one time and making great of the king of glory. I think it will be a spectacle beyond any other. I pray that we're amazed at his glorious return. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Jesus is coming and we haven't missed it. I read in verse 13. But we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep, for the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words like God's love, we can take this passage and go on and on. And unfortunately, I think more times than not, this passage has been as wrongly used as it has been rightly used. And in the midst of that, I believe that if it brings us to confusion and we're looking at it as some formula or order of operation, we've completely missed what Paul is saying to us. And I believe that it was very simple because Paul would not have ended this statement by saying, speak these words to encourage one another. How can confusion and arguing over Scripture be a time of encouragement? I believe what we have to understand is specifically what Paul was telling us. His audience was concerned whether those that have already died and those that were alive, have they missed anything? Will they come together? And Paul said, the dead and the living will come and be with God for an eternity. And that will happen at his second coming. But we also know that these words are such an encouragement sometimes and used at funerals or when we are saying goodbye to loved ones that we don't want them to be, to those that are mourning, to be ignorant. We have to realize that this is an ongoing promise of God himself. As long as God continues to allow this world to continue on, under his sovereign leadership, this promise will never change. Whether he tarries one day or 10,000 years, the dead and the living will be brought together, those that have died in faith, and will be taken home to him for an eternity. But also Paul, I believe, is also telling us That we have to remember that we must be prepared for God's coming. We don't know when that'll be. He did not know when that will be. He lived his life within the first century after Jesus had left, thinking that each day could be that day that Jesus returns. We should have that same mindset. And finally, chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Is Jesus coming? Yes, because God is faithful. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and your soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Our complete hope is in God himself. He is faithful and he is trustworthy also. See, my friends, we know that he is a covenant God. And when he made a covenant with his people, he said, I will keep my covenant to you even though you break your covenant with me. I will never remove it. I am the one that will be faithful. And Paul is telling us again that even when Christ returns, we know that God is faithful because first of all, he said, I was the one that called you. I am the one that brought a people unto myself. I also am the one that sanctifies you completely as an ongoing work in our lives that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will continue to draw us closer to Him to remove from us those things that keep us separated, the sin in our lives that it is should not be and is an offense to God himself, that sanctification will continue. And we are kept blameless until he returns. All his work. There's only two options, my friend, when that will end. Either when he comes or we die. God is faithful in each one of us. So as we think about those that would present the question to us, is Jesus really coming? I hope that for each one of us, including myself, we look at and understand that 1 Thessalonians can be that go-to place that we can say, yes, but just don't take my word for it. Look what God's word tells us because it's very specific. It says, yes, he's coming. And because of the completed work, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, there will be a judgment. But those that have trusted in Christ do not have to fear it. Yes, Jesus is coming, but God's chosen people will humbly be be gathered together before him and see the glory of the one true God that draws them to himself. We're again reminded that until he comes we are to love one another working together in true love and adoration for each other servanthood and to the world and let us be encouraged by the truth that we know that the Lord is coming again and those that have gone on before us or who are alive at that day will be joined together for an eternity. And all of this is on the solid hope and foundation because we serve a faithful God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that again this day that your word has equipped us, that it has quickened our own hearts, that we do not fear that day that would come as a thief in the night. Lord, we, we do not spend time looking at signs and wonders, trying to figure out what we know is only knowledge by you and you alone as to when that time will be. We look with anticipation of when it will be and say, like it says in your book of Revelation, come, Lord Jesus. Allow us to have the answers and be willing to show again to those that are in doubt of whether you will return, Lord, the truth from your word that you will bring with you And glory and honor those that have gone on before us, that we will be gathered up into that that eternal home that you have told us will be a mansion with more rooms than are needed to to satisfy each and every one, Lord. But it is always to give honor and glory to you and to you alone. We thank you again for this time that we've had to look at your word. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.